This is the LexisNexis New York Legal News Podcast. Litigation news stories from New York courts as reported in recent issues of LexisNexis Mealies. Current and targeted legal news and litigation reports. Visit the LexisNexis store for all your legal book and software needs. The store offers thousands of titles to help you in the practice of law and in managing the business of your legal practice. You can reach our e-commerce site by clicking on the Store tab at the top of the LexisNexis homepage or by going to LexisNexis.com store. A New York federal judge in August ruled that claims that Snapple Beverage Corporation defrauded consumers about the ingredients in its teas and juices will not proceed as a class action. The judge denied certification of a class of consumers who claimed the beverage company violated New York consumer protection law by claiming its products contained all natural ingredients when they actually contained high fructose corn syrup. The judge said individualized inquiries would be required to determine, for instance, whether class members were fully informed about the inclusion of high fructose corn syrup in Snapple beverages, whether they believed it to be natural, and whether they continued to purchase Snapple despite their beliefs concerning high fructose corn syrup. Such individual issues would also dwarf any issues of law or fact common to the class, the court said. The Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals held in August the act of shipping a single counterfeit item into New York combined with an affiliated business's substantial activity involving New York gave New York federal court personal jurisdiction over the shipper. In vacating a ruling by Southern District of New York Judge Richard Hallwell that dismissed trademark infringement claims levied by Chloe against Simone Ubadali, the appellate panel considered Ubadali's act in conjunction with the business activity of co-defendant Queen Bee of Beverly Hills. Queen Bee, through its website, offered Chloe handbags, including the counterfeit handbag sent to the plaintiff's investigator, for sale to New York consumers, itself a possible trademark violation, the court said. It further sold other designer merchandise to New York consumers. Thus, the circuit court concluded the additional contacts show that the shipment of a counterfeit Chloe bag was not, as the district court thought, a one-off transaction, but rather part of a larger business plan purposefully directed at New York consumers. Chloe makes designer handbags, and the defendant is an online wholesale and retail designer boutique operating its business at queenbeebeverlyhills.com. An employee of Chloe's law firm accessed the website and ordered a Chloe Paddington bag, which was delivered to her home in New York City. After determining the bag was a counterfeit, Chloe sued the website and its co-founder, Ubadali, alleging trademark infringement. Gucci America was ordered by a federal magistrate judge in New York in late July to produce unredacted copies of email communications between the company and an in-house intellectual property attorney for a non-party concerning an investigation over defendant Guess Incorporated's use of Gucci America's trademarked designs to determine if the documents are privileged and whether a choice of law analysis should be conducted. U.S. Magistrate Judge James Cott of the Southern District of New York explained that the emails between Gucci America and the intellectual property attorney could discuss both ongoing litigation in Italy and the United States and implicate the laws of Japan, Great Britain, and China. Gucci America is suing guests as well as a number of other clothing manufacturers, alleging they infringed on trademarks for the company's designs and logos. 
According to an August 12th ruling by the Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals, the Zyprexa Multidistrict Litigation Court properly enjoined an Alaska attorney and mental health advocate from obtaining and disseminating confidential discovery documents produced by Eli Lilly and Company. According to the panel, Dr. David Eagleman was hired by the Lanier Law Firm in Houston as an expert witness in the Zyprexa MDL, and the firm supplied him with about a half million documents from Lilly. The panel said Eagleman wanted to publicize the documents and contacted New York Times reporter Alex Berenson, who put Eagleman in touch with James B. Gottstein, an attorney and mental health advocate in Anchorage, Alaska. The panel said Gottstein intervened in a guardianship case pending in the 3rd District Superior Court in Anchorage and issued two subpoenas to Eagleman for documents involving Zyprexa and 14 other drugs. Eagleman complied and Gottstein began distributing the Zyprexa documents. Berenstein wrote stories based on the documents. From December 2006 to February 2007, special masters and judges in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of New York, where the Zyprexa MDL is located, issued temporary and permanent injunctions against Eagleman, Gottstein's, and others to whom Gottstein had given the documents. Gottstein appealed his injunction. The Second Circuit said, quote, We agree with the district court that Mr. Gottstein's actions in acquiring and disseminating certain of these documents involved his aiding and abetting is a violation of the court's protective order through the use of sham subpoenas. The district court had the power to enjoin Mr. Gottstein in these circumstances. The panel said the district court did not abuse its discretion when it characterized the Alaska court subpoenas as a sham and found that Gottstein aided and abetted Eagleman's violation of the MDL court's protective order. It said even if it assumed that Gottstein's goal of aiding the Alaska guardianship case and disclosing Lilly misconduct were legitimate, his aiding and abetting of a violation of the protective order, quote, precludes our finding of a proper purpose. For LexisNexis Legal News, I'm Mealy's Emerging Drugs and Devices Editor, Tom Moylan. In a mid-August opinion, a federal judge in New York pared down a massive class action lawsuit filed by investors of one of Bernard Madoff's feeder funds. Fairfield Greenwich Limited, which managed several funds that invested in Madoff and his investment firm, which was later exposed as a massive Ponzi scheme, was sued by a number of investors who lost money in the scheme and are now seeking to recover under various tort and contract theories. The cases were consolidated in the Southern District of New York under Judge Victor Marrero. The investors filed a second amended complaint alleging that Fairfield Greenwich, five of its subsidiaries and numerous partners, officers and directors and others concealed the company's exposure to the Madoff Ponzi scheme. Thirteen motions to dismiss were filed and Judge Marrero in separate rulings granted the motions in part and denied them in part. A federal judge in New York August 17th dismissed a majority of a shareholder's class action complaint against Morgan Stanley Capital One Incorporated and several of its trusts that issued mortgage pass-through certificates. Southern District of New York Judge Laura Taylor Swain said the shareholder, West Virginia Investment Management Board, may not bring claims under the federal securities laws against trusts from which it did not purchase certificates. In a unanimous verdict, a New York federal jury in mid-August found a blogger guilty of threatening to assault and murder three judges by stating in a June 2009 blog posting that the judges, quote, deserved to be killed. Blogger and webcast radio show host Harold Turner, also known as Hal from North Bergen, was found guilty by Eastern District of New York jury in his third trial concerning his threats to the federal judges. 
The first two trials were declared mistrials. Sentencing is scheduled for early December. Turner is a political activist from North Bergen, New Jersey, who originally became known by his frequent calls to conservative radio talk shows. Turner subsequently launched his own online blog and webcasts, where he was notorious for his anti-Semitic stances and his calls for action against government officials, sometimes espousing violence. In a June 2009 blog entry, Turner spoke out against the judges who were involved in the conviction of a white supremacist in the Seventh Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. Following an August hearing, the judge overseeing General Motors' Chapter 11 bankruptcy case in the New York Federal Bankruptcy Court granted permission to creditors to seek data from new General Motors related to the filing of asbestos claims for use in estimating the company's potential liability. In the hearing, bankruptcy judge Robert Gerber of the Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of New York asked the parties to address the burden on the trusts in supplying the information and the extent that supplying the information might prejudice individual tort litigations in the future. In granting the motion, bankruptcy judge Gerber said he was satisfied the motion was relevant or at least more than sufficiently relevant to seek discovery because the information sought was to be used for macroeconomic analysis. He also stated that proper confidentiality agreements could be drawn up to ensure protection of individual tort litigants. Noting that California and New York law do not allow asbestos-related bodily injury claims to be aggregated into a single claim, a New York justice on August 20th ordered American Reinsurance Company to pay its reinsured more than $202 million plus interest. The Northern District of New York has held that the non-statutory labor exemption did not exempt a hospital that paid its registered nurses pursuant to wage rates established in a collective bargaining agreement from antitrust liability, where the RNs allege the hospital engaged in anti-competitive agreements with non-unionized hospitals to depress the RNs' wages. RNs in the Albany, Schenectady, Troy area sued their employer hospitals, alleging that from June 2002 to June 2006, the defendants engaged in a continuing conspiracy and restraint of trade to depress the RNs' compensation and engaged in a continuing agreement to regularly exchange detailed and non-public information about compensation being paid or to be paid to their RNs in violation of the Sherman Act. A former Verizon field technician may proceed with her hostile work environment claim after the Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals ruled in August that she presented sufficient evidence for a trier of fact to find she was treated much more poorly than her male counterparts. Joan Puccino alleged she was regularly assigned work that was less desirable than the work assigned to her male co-workers. A trial court granted Verizon's motion for summary judgment, but the Second Circuit found Puccino offered sufficient evidence to allow a jury to find the alleged abuse was indeed sex-based. The appeals court said she offered evidence showing her garage foreman subjected women to disparately harsh working conditions, including assignment of work in dangerous areas and the refusal to provide assistance to female workers that was provided male co-workers. The court said Verizon has not offered any evidence suggesting a legitimate non-discriminatory explanation for the foreman's conduct. In addition, the appellate panel determined the jury could find the harassment and abuse was severe enough to alter Pacino's work environment. The LexisNexis New York Legal News Podcast was written by the editors of LexisNexis Mealy's Current and Targeted Legal News and Litigation Reports. For more information on these and other New York cases, visit LexisNexis.com slash Mealy's, M-E-A-L-E-Y-S. 
The LexisNexis New York Legal News Podcast, copyright 2010 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis, total practice solutions. I'm Steve Bursler. Thank you for listening.